Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. Hello, I'm Colourful and this is Driving Life. In this episode, I talk to Professor Brian Caulfield of TCD. Brian is a very active academic specialising in transport and the carbon and climate impacts coming out of it. He's published multiple papers on the subject. He provided advice to the Citizens' Assembly on climate change, and he's on the steering group reviewing the Greater Dublin Transport Strategy. We've met and clashed on radio a few times, but this is a chance for a longer chat. Before we get going, I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Doro Mobile Phones and Expressway Buses, two great companies in very different areas. They're very good to support us, so thank you very much. Don't forget to check out earlier episodes and other chats. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. So now, let's go and meet Brian Caulfield. Hello, Professor Brian Caulfield. You're very good to have a chat with me. How are you keeping? I'm good, Connor. It's good to, it's, it's good to catch up. It is good to catch up. We're, you're, we're one of those um, kind of pairs of people that we, we we sort of often half meet microphone to microphone. Um, but, you know, that's usually set up with one of us cast as Punch and the other one cast as Judy, isn't it? <laughs> that, that has happened a few times in the past. We're at the other end of a phone line and uh, I think a lot of media outlets like to see the, the, the transport debate and any kind of debate, to be honest, as you know, um, as you said, Punch and Judy. Yeah. Um, and so you, we wind up sort of skirting across the top or around the edges of what are actually you know, deep, deeper subjects that, that merit a better bit of conversation. Um, but a little bit about yourself, though, Brian. Um, I mean, I know when I was working with the AA, I thought I was bad for turning up everywhere on media. Um, but you're, 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 you're out front and centre a lot of the time, aren't you? You're one of the voices in the conversation these days. Yeah, I, I suppose within transport, yes, I, I've been called upon a lot and I suppose it's kind of it's based upon my research that I do, the international stuff that I do to kind of inform policy here in Ireland. But then also um, kind of in the last five or five years or so, I've been more kind of active in terms of the media, definitely, but also providing evidence and providing advice to government. Um, last or was it the year before last, I was on the steering committee for the date and renewal of the Greater Dublin Area Transport Strategy, which was yeah. fantastic work. Um, and also, you know, with the the citizens' assemblies, both on the one on climate change and also the one on the Dublin Mayor. Um, uh, both have oh, you were on two, aspects. were you? I knew you were on the climate change one. Were you on the Dublin Mayor one as well? I was I was brought into that one too. And the citizens' assemblies are just amazing. And it's, it's a fantastic yeah. model. And we, you know, it, it served our country very well, I think. Yeah, it's much admired. Actually, one of uh, one of the previous guests we had on the podcast was Paul Reed. Um, you know, fr- fresh out of the HSE, but he was at that stage. Well, as recently, he was chairing the uh, Citizens Assembly on drug use. Um, and again, he was saying that you know, it's 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 a great way to, um, you know, have the mature conversation and hopefully get to wisdom. Plenty of opportunity to listen as well as talk. Massively so, and you can get to then go down and sit down and listen to people. They'll ask your, they'll pick your brains, and it's it was from a career perspective, it was a highlight both times doing it because of the amount of engagement that 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 I got. 
Yeah. And career, we should, I suppose, at the background, you're a professor in Trinity um, and you're actually, you're a professor of transportation, but that uh, vests in engineering, is it? It's a, it's a civil engineering discipline. It's, is that your it's background? In, in civil engineering. And that's where my, I got my PhD in the same department. I've been in the department now for since 2007. I've been an academic mm. there. So I teach kind of, I'm teaching undergraduate and postgraduate um, transportation courses, transportation engineering and modeling courses mm. since then. Uh, but then also graduating, I'm hopefully this year going to graduate my, my 13th um, PhD student. Um, uh, and yeah, and a, a, a fairly large kind of um, research program that I'm that I'm working on at the moment. And it, it's all kind of very much pivoted towards uh, decarbonization of transport. And that's kind of the key thing that that, that I work on at the moment. You know, and academia is, is is in fact a busy lifestyle these days, isn't it? You know, there's a um, Palomine is actually a separate subject area as a professor in Trinity as well. Um, you you've published. I did I read you've published over two hundred papers in on on you know, in and around the field. About that, yeah. Um, wow. And uh, it it, it, it well, it, it's great because I've got great collaborators as well that yeah. are very, very engaged in, in research. Um, and it's the thing. Well, I, I love teaching. I love uh, it's it's one of my great passions. I love, um, especially the first years going in and talking to the first year engineers, and you've got almost two hundred and fifty of them and explaining to them why you're passionate about something and why they should get passionate about it. Then equally, the smaller classes and the later years where there's maybe ten or fifteen students in it, but. Um, Research then is my next passion. I love the best part about research is the publication part I find is because you can mm. disseminate your results and get them out there. And I tend to before much of the stuff that I talk about in the media would be something that's come from something that's been peer reviewed and researched yeah. um, by me or and my team. Um, and I think that's very important that you get this kind of peer reviewed evidence out there and one of the great things that the Irish universities have done in the past couple of years is they've entered into an agreement with Elsevier which is the largest publishing house um, for mm. science research in, on, on the planet um, and that we have open access so when a, an Irish academic from an Irish university or an academic from an Irish university publishes that work will be open access for everybody to get access to and it, in, in the of, true scientific spirit really isn't it I mean that, that that's how knowledge so. is advanced yeah, yeah. Um, so and, you know, it, it, for me, I think particularly when you talk about uh, transport, uh, transport as it sits in climate, because, you know, they're they're very frequently intertwined and there's there's no doubting what is the big conversation of our time. Um, and you know what? It's you know, it's not SUVs versus small cars. It's clearly uh, human caused climate change. So nearly every conversation we have sits within that. Um, but, and, but I think because of that, because feelings run high about that, um, you, you get a lot of emotion in. So, um, you know, we, we do have to have, um, well, I was going to say, uh, you know, an agreed set of facts, but we, we do need to be evidence based and dispassionate, don't we? And uh, doesn't the, the best academic work guides us that way. And, and and also industry work guides us that way too. It's not just the the, the work that the academics produce. Um, I completely agree. I think that you know we should have this transparent model that says, look, this these are the things that are called in the emissions. These are the mm. pathways to get out of it. Pick your poison. You pick the way you want to do it. And some of them are financially very expensive. Some of them are politically very expensive. Yeah. And some of them kind of keep us at square one when it comes to say when you take away climate from transport and. 
we could have our emissions in the morning if we gave everybody a, a, a free electric car. And then that has all these other knock-on impacts, you know, yeah. it doesn't stop congestion. It no, has these- well, we'd have to make the electricity as well. And, uh, you know, if, as I've said before, a turf-powered Tesla doesn't do much good, really, in the long run. Not at all. And also, the other thing about the, the, the electric vehicles are is that, you know, the majority of cars spend 95% of their time parked. And we wouldn't be investing in wind turbines that were spending, you know, 5% of their time producing electricity mm. or solar panels. So, yeah, the, that, there's that's a... Kind of an yeah, I mean, some of this it almost touches on behavioral economics, Brian, because it, you're right about that. I mean, with a lot of things, when you analyze them, you know, are a little bit dysfunctional. It might be a gym membership, for example, or golf club membership, whatever it might be. And you sit back and reflect, you go, geez, you know, for the amount of time I spend down there, you know, couldn't I just pay and play golf wherever I want to do any course, but it probably cost me. And yet people choose, uh, choose their lifestyles. And I think having a car, is a little bit like that. Uh, you sort of have a car because, you know, you're going to need it badly sometimes. There are times where really nothing else will do. Um, so then given that you buy the thing, well, now you might as well use it to go to work. And now you might as well use it for this and use it for that. Um, so it's not as if anybody sets out to be wasteful. Um, no. But, you know, human, human life is messy, isn't it? True, and that's that's going back to the them versus us or the the, the debate mm. that you're pitched against. Like nobody intentionally is causing climate change, and um, nobody's getting glee out of it. But you're right; a lot of people are kind of locked into their lifestyles, and particularly outside of the urban parts of 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 the country that are stuck. And not they 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 made they would love to have a public transport alternative, but it's just not there. Um, and the car is the only viable option. And even if public transport were viable and you're running the, let's say diesel buses everywhere, the emissions mm. profile would be higher than people, you know, a handful of cars um, doing the same types of trips. So we need to be kind of pragmatic in our, and in, in, I think in our solutions. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. One of the things I think um, can, can be a problem with it is we, we can let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, and I think there are a lot of voices in the debate that do that. They, you know, if it's not a perfect solution, we should reject it out of hand. So you'll read, for example, environmental campaigners who hate the idea of hybrid cars. Um, you know, they just extend the tail of burning fossil fuels. Uh, or you'll get people who say, look, don't build any car, no electric cars. Let's, you know, let's just, re- re- it costs carbon to make them. Let, let's reduce car ownership and car usage. And, you know, maybe all of those things are points, but you have to remember you're not designing a new society on a blank canvas you're 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 applying all of this to the world we actually live in rather than the world you want yeah precisely you're right um 
perfection can be the enemy of the good and it goes across every sector that 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 you see in, in um that in the climate debate agriculture energy but in transport particularly you know that people would say if i say something about maybe we should have a new bus route here or there mm. what about restarts and you know look at me these some of these solutions will not suit absolutely everybody in ireland but if they suit enough people to make them viable and they reduce emissions then let's go with them mm. and i think that's that's one of the good things that the, the the Department of Transport are doing at the moment with these Pathfinder projects. They're looking to see, you know, these types of ideas and initiatives that could help a lot of people reduce. Not everybody, but could help mm. some people reduce their emissions. Yeah. And, you know, you could be mistaken. I sometimes think looking at Irish commentary to think that the entirety of the climate conversation um, was down to uh, plastic bags and SUVs and Fox Rock. Um, but in fact, you know, uh, these these are at the margins of the broader climate challenge. Uh, why, why do you think? Well, maybe you disagree if I, if I say that no, transport no, no, I agree. and the private I agree. car gets a disproportionate. But why is that? Do you think? I suppose, well, the private car does get a lot of attention because everybody, at least 75% of how we all move around this country is in a private car. So mm. everybody's invested in it. Everybody has an opinion on it. Everybody wants to talk about it, especially if you're trying to curtail that movement or change that movement. So everybody's bought into it. That's why it's such a hot topic. That's why we 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 cross swords on, on, on the yeah, airways yeah, yeah. about it. Um, and that's why it's there. But, you know, one of the one of the things that we don't talk about enough is the freight issue and the amount of emissions that come from freight um, are huge. So if we're looking at the emissions pie, um, freight is almost as big of a, a chunk as, as as private cars. Mm. But I think that I think that and I, I've heard Eamon Ryan say this before, and I've said it a number of times, transport emissions is going to be the most difficult thing to reduce by far compared to any yeah. other sector. And, you know, the, the the problem, the reason for that, I guess, is, um, you know, the, the the world that we've inhabited and the laws of physics, there, re- there really isn't a better solution um, than diesel currently, than fossilized diesel currently. Um, it, it, and you think about what it does and the energy that is contained in that oil and, and the way it moves ships and moves airplanes and moves vehicles. We just don't have another way to do it. Um, and even if there are climate zealots out there who would like this to happen, the world economy is not going to stop and wait. It, it just it just won't. In the same way that water won't flow uphill, economic activity is going to keep happening. And for the time being, that means we're still going to burn diesel. So I think we can wean ourselves off it, but it's going to be a very long tail. I, I hope it's not that long of a tail. I suppose the economic argument is a very important one. Uh, but, you know, climate doesn't care about economics it doesn't mm. care about whether or not you can you've got diesel boats or or, or airplanes flying all over the place and uh there's there isn't doesn't seem to be i think this is the reason why maybe change is taking a long time to happen is that there isn't a clear and present danger to us other than all of the you know the carcinogenic gases that come out of diesel yeah. causing cancer and asthma and, and, and heart attacks um um, but from the climate perspective, I don't think the tail can be that long. It's something that we do need to get rid of pretty quickly. Mm. And if we don't do it quickly, it's 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 our children, our grandchildren. They're the ones that are going to look back and go, why on earth did you do this? Um, yeah. And it's um, to look at them with a clear conscience, I suppose, as to what it is to say, well, you know, just because something is there and it's easy and there's nothing more efficient than it, but however you're banjaxing mm. the rest of the planet and humanity on this, uh, humanity, uh, I don't think is a good enough argument. Um, 
Uh, uh, I, I tell you something else. The, 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 the danger is insidious rather than immediate, and and as, as you say, maybe that um, that makes it much more difficult for humanity to be cohesive in response because you always just put it away around the edges. Whereas COVID, for example, which was um, as it turned out not existential, um, mm -hmm. but it kind of showed us how how a pandemic could be. Um, you know, imagine a more deadly virus. But our response to COVID collectively as a species was pretty damned impressive, wasn't it? Absolutely so. And that's the kind of change that could be enacted. And I heard one of my colleagues in Trinity, Brandon Kelly, um, talking about it on the radio. And he said, look, if somebody comes into the room and throws a tennis ball at your face, you're going to duck. And that's what COVID was. Uh, whereas okay. climate change is a much, it's a, it's a slower serve coming yeah. to, to your face. And you feel you can duck or you could wait to duck and all of these kind of things. But it's if we don't duck soon enough, the ball is going to hit a square in the face. And yeah. I think my fear is that um, we get past the threshold where change is possible and we look back and go, oh, no, we, that's the fear that I would have. Um, yeah, well, pessimists I'm not a tell you that it's happened already inexorably um, that the you know, that, that that's in the post to us. We're going to breach um, the one point five degrees ceiling that all the experts had agreed on um, and we're hastening slowly you know if you go if you go back 10-15 years ago um, you know there actually was a climate debate uh, to some degree the jury was still out the jury's no longer out and you know there's no sane or credible voice um, denying climate change now they might have all sorts of arguments as to what are good policies are not good policies in order to address it um, but mm. people don't, aren't pretending it doesn't happen um, so that I guess is is progress how well do you think we have done i mean what what where are the points where you would score as well on a balanced scorecard um the global response i guess but also the irish response well i suppose to bring it back to transport and specifically within what we've been doing um i think we've done we did very i think again covid was a great enabler to to give over um urban road space and urban space to the bike and to active mobility and to to, mm. to public transport. I think we've done very well there, but I think the, the places that we've done very poorly on, and I'm still I'm very concerned about the amount of uh, um, progress being made is on the big public transport projects, the big mm -hmm. ticket projects that you know we've been talking about for decades in Dublin, particularly Metro, um, Lewis extensions, Dark Plus. Yeah. Um, we're going at a snail's pace when it comes to all of those projects, and I'm very concerned about. The, the the delivery say of metro um uh, when when how quickly it can happen and can it happen you know will it happen in the in the lifetime of the current government and then if there's a change in government and somebody tries to throw somebody changes you know an alignment that sets the project back three and four years um yeah and i don't know if it's even individual governments i mean it was it, it, it's been irish state policy to build that metro for over 20 years now and we're still yet to get a shovel into the ground it's unbelievable uh, i mean i've said before M M madrid was able to you know design and build and open a system in the space of 10 12 years and in all of that time ours hasn't got further than a you know a flip chart and an artist's impression I, we've got a little bit further than an artist's impression. We had planning permission on it. Well, we spent 300 million, so it would be disappointing <laughs> if we didn't get more than a doodle <laughs> or two out of it. Well, we, 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 we did have planning permission for this, you know, a decade ago, and hopefully by the end of the year, the, the same planning permission will come again. But until, you know, the contract is signed for the, the, the contractor to get in there and 
start tunneling and start uh, and start digging for this thing you know that's when i'll start to believe it it's true but the 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 worrying thing is it's like you know metro is just to keep building metro is just to get up to you know to a base level we mm. need a, a multitude on top of that we need light rail lines everywhere kind of traversing the city and 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 so too does cork and limerick and, yeah. and galway these cities need that type of uh, uh, interventions too um and why we always wait until the very end moment where, you know, the capacity is such that people are screaming for these projects is beyond me. Uh, but that's what happened in Dublin. But I, I am hopeful that this time Metro will get across the line. <laughs> well, Lewis eventually did. Eventually did. Um, and, you know, at costs, the, the first two Lewis lines in Dublin cost 750 million euro. And I remember the rows then about the cost, um, which, you know, just looks cheap as chips now and why oh why didn't we build more um so exactly. listen we, we we can only start from where we are now for me the, the the big global challenge really is is how do you decouple economic growth from energy use um well I, actually i suppose there's two problems what, what one is how do you decouple energy use from carbon use um call that challenge a and then challenge b how do you decouple economic growth from energy use because i would say it's one thing to the zealots and perfectionists out there if your policy is predicated around preventing economic growth and you know preventing emissions that way um i i, I think that's doomed to failure i i'm you know i don't think people will support it and i, th I think it's doomed to failure you, you have to be pro-growth pro-business pro-economy to my mind if you're going to be successful um, I suppose it depends on on, on what you label success. Um, on, on what is what is success in your mind? Like I know there's been an awful lot of work done on kind of the the wellness framework and um, and and looking at things like that as opposed to the traditional economic indicators. Um, I think looking at from from that lens, you know, it depends what is success. Is success somebody that's able to walk out of their house today and buy a brand new Merc diesel Merc, or is mm. it somebody that walk out of their house and yeah, I get onto a very well-functioning public transport system or walker cycle. So it, 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 I suppose it depends upon on, on what you look at. But, you know, there's I'm by no means an expert in this area, but, you know, the, the policies around degrowth and decoupling economic growth and and emissions, it's something that um, has to be looked at. There's, there's, there's yeah. kind of no way. Well, I know if you, because I sometimes read from, you know, SAAI or other such bodies that, you know, um, oh, terrible, Ireland is supposed to be tapering down its CO2 emissions. And in fact, they grew by 4% last year, whatever it might be. Um, but if you if you look at it, it's interesting. It, like, it more or less exactly maps economic growth. Um, so that makes me wonder, are we measuring? The, that's not truly measuring our, our kind of per capita eco-effectiveness, if you like. It just says that when the economy is busy, we burn more fuel. Um, yeah. you know, that, you know, that doesn't help us fix it, really, does it? It doesn't know, and you saw that during COVID, um, when yeah. people there was a, a decrease in emissions, uh, very small, but there still was a decrease in emissions during COVID because of the the lower um, mobility that people were were engaging in. Um, but you're right. You even when the transport stats came out from the CSO there from the the last census, um, you know, the amount of people that were taken out of, um, I think, it was the amount of people that were now walking, cycling, or using public mm. transport was, you know doubled by the amount of people that were still driving uh, on their own because yeah, the, the, the transport is 
Yeah, COVID did funny things. There were some sort of collateral effects and stuff. I mean, a lot of people were, you discovered their own neighborhoods. So neighborhood parks and all of that and mountain walks and more people went up to the Hellfire Club than had ever done before. People started fantastic new lockdown habits that improved. They bought dogs, whatever the hell it is. And um, they were also put off public transport, uh, risk of infection. And funnily enough, some of that lingers. I mean, I, I've spoken to elderly people who are still reluctant to take the bus. Um, so, you know, it did funny things to us, not not all of them harmful and, you know, but it did funny things to us as a society, didn't it? And it also started this, you know, um, a large amount of people working from home. Um, I do see that kind of starting to dissipate, um, but uh, it, it did definitely bring that to the fore and, and enabling people to people that don't have to be in the office five days a week, being able to do it more flexible. And I think that's from a from a wellness perspective as i was talking about but but also yeah. from a commuting and emissions perspective is it, going it's going to be good but that will dissipate over time as people start as the private car fleet is electrified the emission savings from from working from home from the commute will start to decrease and well that just... is the relative difference between working from home and commuting uh, so the saving there disappears but it only disappears because all of the tailpipe emissions are gone and um, so I mean, surely. I mean, if we put it to you this way, Brian, if you imagine hypothetically that, uh, you know, we really cracked electric cars and we had done it in such a way as to render the internal combustion engine completely obsolete. So now we're all in electric cars, zero emission electric cars. What then is a climate? And do, do we then just pivot and talk about congestion in cities or how we just cars are intruding on public space? I mean, are they different fundamentally different reasons to to dislike the idea of cars in your city um well i think fundamentally the reason to try to take cars out of the city is because the city is for people um and i think the day of being able to drive into arnott's let's say and park up on christmas eve or whatever and mm. do the last shop i think that's kind of gone i think that the i, I think that that kind of car access to a city center is is gone um, um and i think people have started to pivot away from that and you see that across europe um most of the all of the cities that people that tourists flock to yeah have very few cars in them and i think that's going to be the thing and yeah the, well, no, just... the, 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 the characteristic european city is that there's an old town there's a very pretty old town if dublin had done it right we might have an old town equivalent in what is now temple bar and christ church um or I don't know, perhaps around the brazen hair somewhere. Like but the classically in, in the European city, there's a very pretty old town and it's completely pedestrianized. A tourist might never see a car and go, God, isn't that fantastic? But get outside the old town and it's a real city. So you will see cars. It's 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 not as if European capitals can do without them. Um, and of course, the reason for that is you must have a functioning economy. You, you cannot just be a cafe and picnic site being the only thing in your capital city. Um I do think that it, 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 let's go back to Dublin as the example. Yes, you're right. There isn't this historical old town per se, but um, I suspect what will happen is when we build the, all of the light rail and bus connects is put in, that there will be so little space left for the car that um, perhaps then a congestion charge won't be required because there'll be everyone will be able to get access and there will be there will be access for everybody and at every different level of ability as well because that's very important to 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 have in there too. Um, mm. But I do yeah. think that it will, it will happen by stealth as opposed to 
a mayor or an own Keegan or somebody coming in and saying, we're going to have a congestion charge. Well, I do, personally, I don't think it'll ever be necessary because, as I say, we've never had to force people onto good quality transport and we've never really been able to force them onto bad quality transport. So if you really want people out of cars, it don't come from preaching and it don't come from taxes. It doesn't come from roadblocks either, although you could brainstorm that one up. It comes from provide. if you want to do it without killing the city, you, you do it by providing alternatives. Precisely. And I don't think in this country we've ever regretted any public transport investment that that, that, that we've looked at. For sure, for sure. Or, or or any infrastructural spend, for that matter. The port tunnel, the motorway network, um, the rail upgrades, they've all, all served the country really, really well. Um, the stuff we didn't do, we, we, we haven't improved on our energy self-sufficiency ourselves. We might debate whether we want it or not, but we haven't done anything with nuclear um, we we perhaps underexploited wind. Um, we 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 still burn fossil fuels for a lot of our juice, don't we? We do. Um, and the, the, there's a whole kind of Pandora's box you could open up there. And this is one of the things that kind of frustrates me when I see climate action plans and and whether it's transport, agriculture, or or energy, is that we're told fifty percent cut here, twenty percent cut there. What I would really like to see, other than that, is how many electric cars is that? How many new buses is that? How many more wind turbines is that? Not these grandiose um, uh, carbon cuts so that there's a spreadsheet or there's a, there's, a, there's a dashboard somewhere that says this is the progress. Progress, I think, is better measured than that. What infrastructure? Yeah. And I think car, car, carbon is quite an abstract thing, really. To, I mean, we know consent, but it's quite an abstract thing to me. And plus, it's 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 you know non-renewable carbon that you're talking about, fossilized carbon. It's a different paradigm entirely if you're growing a crop for biodiesel, for example, because you're just you're reusing existing CO two from the system. You're not releasing um, millions and millions of of um, fossilized tons of CO two. It's a different thing. Exactly. But I, I also think in the whole debate as well, that people need to be shown that there's good things that are happening. And that's why I think some sort of a dashboard like that could say, right, wind turbines, we have to put out, I don't know how many gigawatts of wind this this year, what was delivered. And it could, but also then hold government to account mm. to say, look, if you've not delivered it. And what's what's the point in us selling a, mi a million electric cars, as you said earlier, if they're all powered by turf? Yeah, yeah. Not that we're going to get within an ass's roar of a million by the specified deadline. But I mean, we are making progress. I think around 18% of new car sales now or something like that. Norway's 80%. So we're well behind what could be done. Um, can, can, can I ask you just as as, as, as we, we, we head towards wrapping, Brian, are, are there examples out there of countries that you think are doing it right? Um, who do you think has got a good set of policies that we should be following? Um, there are a number of countries that I think that, and, and maybe cities more so, that are doing things that I think are right. I think what, um, and a couple of them relate to directly elected mayors, if I'm honest. So I think Paris mm. and Barcelona, they're doing they're doing great things. I think if they've if if you have a directly elected mayor and uh, he or she has a mandate to change the city, and then in Paris it's it's you know taking away road space from from parking yeah. and from cars. And she's got a mandate to do that. She's got an Olympic she, Games. Yeah, she did, she did, did turn out that this is Hidalgo in Paris. I agree. Yeah. She had done some great things. Um, 
bit nutty around the fringes, I think. Not all our policies are great. You know, uh, you need one one needs some curtailments on the power of an executive mayor, but there's no doubt they can do that. And Barcelona, likewise, as you say, that's city is also built a metro in recent times where we've been doing. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure nutty is a fair word to use, but <laughs> a, a mayor that has a probably more mandate than anybody that's elected in our country. Yeah, she's uh, a but populist think, and popular no doubt yeah i think that, i think that she's done an awful lot of an awful lot of good things but then you go to smaller cities that that you know um that have curtailed car usage as you said with these old towns and that everybody accepts it and it's it's part of the part of part and parcel of, of, of city life um I think they're quite successful. But I think even even if you look in Ireland, if you look at Athlone, I think what's been done down there with the electric buses um, oh. and this new bus network down there, I think is absolutely fantastic. But we need, you know, another, every town the size of Athlone needs that same bus network um, and they need it They need it today. Um, yeah. I think that we, we've got lots of good examples here in Ireland too. And also Belfast. I think Belfast is a great example. I, I'm, I'm blue in the face talking about the glider up in Belfast. And I think it will be a very quick, cheap option for, for maybe Galway or for Limerick or for Waterford to introduce a system like that. Very good, very good. So as, as you look at it all then and, and across the ballot scorecard, Brian, I, I mean, are you frustrated, uplifted, um, you know, enthused, angry? Where would you put that on the spectrum? Uh, how optimistic are you? Equally all in the same measure, to be honest, Connor. I'm, I am optimistic. I do think that we've we've got a great set of policies. And I think, as you said, you know, no one's arguing now whether or not whether climate change is happening. Mm. I very rarely hear somebody arguing with me saying buses could do the same job as the metro could do. So I think we've no, nobody's saying we want cars in cities. I mean, everybody accepts that's an exactly. exception, not a primary solution. Exactly. And I think people are with that kind of emotion around um, around how transport will go. I think what the, the the frustration is is the the logistics of it, and I think it was reported in the business post that there's a hundred electric buses sitting in Fibsburg that aren't being used mm. because of a lack of charging infrastructure. So it's going to be the actual delivery and the gridlock around that. I think is going to be the big frustration, and hopefully the political will is there for it. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, well, if if that's a broadly optimistic note, um, on on of which to wrap, I'm glad to hear it. Um, uh, so we'll we'll be optimistic for the future of the planet. Perhaps not our species on it, but the planet itself, the ball itself, is big enough and old enough to uh, uh to cope with us. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, well, listen, Brian, thanks a million for the chat. Really enjoyed it. And uh, as no I problem. say, good to chat at a little bit greater length than when we're uh, throwing slings and arrows at each other across Pat <laughs> Kenny's desk, which <laughs> probably be doing ah, again. It's all soon. good fun. It's all, it's good, all fun. good fun. It's all good fun. Brian, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, Connor. So that's Brian Caulfield. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Let me know if you have any thoughts on the podcasts. Get in touch on connorfalkland at gmail.com. Do remember that you can access the full Driving Life archive of previous episodes at seniortimes.ie. Thanks again to Doro Mobile Phones and to Expressway Buses. And we're done. Drive safely, live happily, and come back and see us again. An will phone poke a newowet, an will knappy no fum nis orjoet. Nis eskalehusaj, faker na phone in toka ta gwin, on show, egg daro. An von klishte is dani, gidi gohan la hai glina, agus taskina. Ta rod egen, gogachtina. Ta nismo olis, egg.
Daro.com.